Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Great to have you along. We've had a variety of different topics that we've covered this morning in our discussions. We're coming back to education and classrooms. And in a little bit, we're going to open up the phone lines again. 1130 this morning, we will uh, we'll continue the discussion because I feel like we're never able to get all the callers on that want to weigh in on this discussion about basically what they see needs to happen to get a negotiated settlement. So phone lines will open up for you a little bit later on at around 1130. And uh, we'll discuss this all over again in terms of, of where we need to go to get a deal done between the province and the teachers. So in this discussion, we've heard a lot of talk about classroom complexity. I would say it's probably one of the major sticking points in the negotiations between the government and the Saskatchewan Teachers Federation. Back in January, STF President Samantha Beacott was asked exactly what classroom complexity was. And she said, basically, it's additional learning needs, it's behavioral supports, it's split grades, it's English as an additional language. They're all factors that complicate classrooms for teachers. There's been a lot of talk about what the solution is when it comes to these complexities. And we are seeing opinions being thrown out, many of them online, saying basically focusing on people with intellectual disabilities. Some tweets and Facebook posts making the rounds where people are insisting that children and young adults with disabilities should be removed from the classroom. Is this the solution? Is this where we need to go? I know someone that has some thoughts on this, and she joins me now. Brittany Acton is the Director of Inclusion with Inclusion Saskatchewan, and she joins me now to talk about the benefits of inclusive education. Brittany, thanks for taking the call. Yeah, thanks for having me. Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about the organization Inclusion Saskatchewan? I would love to. So we were formerly known as Saskatchewan Association for Community Living. We were founded way back in the 1950s specifically on the movement for children with disabilities to be allowed to attend school. This continues to be one of our core areas of work. We support people with intellectual disabilities, and um, we align that term with Inclusion Canada. So that also includes neurodivergence. So when we're talking about autism, ADHD in the classroom, that falls within us as well. Um, A lot of genetic and medical conditions, anything that sort of results in deficits to processing, communication, and learning falls within our realm of support. We do individual and systemic advocacy. We support employers to understand the benefits of inclusive hiring. Uh, We support youth with disabilities and their transition to adulthood. We support families as they navigate challenges of raising a child with a disability. And from time to time, we're able to do some professional development in the community as well. So Brittany, when we're talking about inclusive education, what does that look like? Or maybe a better question is, what should that look like if it was working properly? Yeah, that's a really good question. When I talk about inclusive ed, a lot of people think I'm sort of talking about this hazy sort of concept that's a lot of good feelings and a charitable attitude towards the disability community. That's actually a pretty huge misconception. Inclusive ed is an evidence-based approach and it has very specific definitions. So when I use that term, I'm referring to the framework where every child is welcomed into their neighborhood school to attend normal classes with peers their own age. And then any additional supports that they need are provided to them within that shared learning environment. Additionally, a lot of people seem to think that it's something nice to do when we're able to do it, but it's not actually required. But the right to an inclusive education is actually enshrined in law, both in international treaties that Canada has signed, bills passed at the federal federal level, 
and through commitments made by our provincial ministry of education too. So this is why we see inclusive ed throughout the guiding principles that govern our own provincial education system, like the Education Act and such. Not to say that we're quite there yet, and we acknowledge there's a long way to go before our systems are ready to be 100% inclusive education, um, but we do want to highlight that it's a right that our students have, and we do need to be moving the needle in the right direction on it. Brittany Acton is my guest, Director of Inclusion for Inclusion Saskatchewan. What are the benefits, Brittany, for children and youth with disabilities that come along with an inclusive education? Uh, there's a mountain of research from around the world that demonstrates how beneficial it is for kids. So kids are very social learners. We know this. They learn best from friends. Um, and they need to be learning in a group of kids with diverse needs where they can be exposed to pro-social behaviors and have a lot of opportunities to see how other kids learn and behave. When kids have access to an inclusive education, they're way more likely to be able to access post-secondary education as well um, and have successful employment in adulthood and then be included within their community for their whole lifespan. So what about typical peers? How do, how do they benefit? Because there is a, there is a two-way benefit for inclusion. Yeah, there sure is. So all kids benefit from having a diverse social circle to learn from. I'm not just talking about learning empathy and inclusion and those sort of softer ideals that most of us want to instill in our children, but they actually do learn real life skills. So using a variety of communication styles, learning how different brains and bodies work differently, getting more exposure to self-advocacy and you know diverse problem solving strategies, all of that comes with it. Additionally, in inclusive classrooms, all the students are viewed as individuals with individual needs. So even a student who might not be considered to have intensive support needs can better access some smaller accommodations that will make them more successful in the school. And beyond just the peers in the classroom, inclusive education benefits all of us. Kids turn into adults, and the benefits that come from that result in a stronger workforce and economy, greater community diversity, and empowerment that leads to you know, less reliance on social safety nets in the future. Brittany Acton, my guest this morning, Director of Inclusion with Inclusion Saskatchewan. So, Brittany, give us a sense of the resources that are required in a classroom to support inclusion. I think the most important thing to recognize is that it's not really a one-size-fits-all approach. And what one student might need to support inclusion is going to be very different than what another student or even another classroom needs. The key supports in general are through an EA, a resource teacher, access to assessments with a psychologist or learning specialist. Many teachers also need support from experts in understanding communications behind challenging behaviors, so how to strategize for modifying difficult behaviors or finding accommodations for them. So quite often speech and language pathologists, occupational therapists, counselors, um, that's typically who we're looking at. But it's worth noting that all of the supports I've listed here are already funded through the Ministry of Education and are supports that schools do have some access to, though certainly not enough. No major changes are really required to our education system to make inclusive ed a reality. It's just improving the supports that we already have in place. You know, I've got a little insight into the teacher world just through, uh, you know, my wife's a teacher. I've got lots of people in my family and friend circle that are teachers. There's also the setups that can happen in the classroom that are conducive to support inclusion. So not just about extra teachers and and uh, educational assistants in the room, but just even the arrangement of furniture can be supportive of inclusion. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we often call that um, universal design learning, um, where the environment itself is set up to accommodate everyone without even thinking it, about it. As we as we talk about this and we work our way as a province through what seems to be a pretty challenging bargaining attempt by between the teachers and the province to try and get a, a collective agreement, the government is also launching different specialized support classroom pilot projects and different initiatives. Is this pilot project that they've recently announced viewed as as positive or from your chair do you feel that this is a step backwards so to be fair these types of classrooms do already exist in a lot of school divisions in the province and they're managed at a local level um but it's the first time we are seeing this huge provincial invest investment in segregation like this and that is a big concern when we're collectively moving away from those approaches without a doubt i would say this is a step backwards for inclusive education and that comes after decades of work and improvement in this province. With that said, lots of people are viewing it as a positive thing because it's been such a long period of classes being under-supported. I think the educators and families who are in support of this program, they generally want the same thing as us, and that's for all students to be supported and to reach their fullest potential in school. And I would just love for them to remember that a well-supported classroom where that does happen for every student is possible, we don't need to exchange the needs of students with disabilities, or sorry, the needs of students without disabilities for the right of students with disabilities. I'm going to guess, Brittany, that you are a supporter of proper funding for complex needs in classrooms. Um, we've, we're giving everyone the opportunity when we talk to them to weigh in on where things are at. Uh, from a funding perspective, but even from a labor perspective but with the teachers in the province. Do you have any thoughts of what you're seeing unfold right now in Saskatchewan? I mean, I trust what teachers are saying and that it's uh, very difficult to have their needs met. We do see schools who are absolutely rocking it with inclusive education, um, and a lot of that is thanks to very creative and innovative approaches that they're taking in those schools or those divisions. A lot of it is culture of different school divisions as well. Um, I do see the wait list times that people are calling in asking for help with, and um, I do think there needs to be more support for students so that they can be getting help as early as possible. Brittany Acton, before I let you go this morning, advocacy and the work that you and I are talking about this morning is is part of your work, but you really are a resource, a way for families to access information about inclusive education and other areas within society that inclusion is something that needs to be talked about. What are some of those things for families that might be listening now that haven't used your service yet? Uh, what can you provide to families that assist them with day-to-day living? Yeah, good question. So we have a team of inclusion consultants. They work across the province and they provide advocacy for people with intellectual disabilities and their families anytime they're um, seeing barriers to inclusion. So that does include education and that's a large part of what we do, but it's also in healthcare, social services, justice systems, um, anything like that. If we have schools or teachers who are wanting to learn more about inclusive education, we're happy to help with that as well. Um, we also have a whole host of things we can do with employers or depending on the needs. Um, we have a lot of people working here on different things. Our website has intake forms for our family network and our advocacy services. Or you can just reach out to our office and we'll hook you up with the right people.
Brittany, this has been a great chat today. Thanks so much for uh, giving us some time. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Brittany Acton, Director of Inclusion for Inclusion Saskatchewan, and really talking about how this weighs into the notion of classroom complexity, because it, it covers a variety of things, including additional learning needs, behavioral supports, split grades. We know there's a bunch of needs that fall under the umbrella of classroom complexity. I don't know that anyone is disagreeing that it's something that needs to be focused on and funded properly. The fight that we're seeing unfold in front of our eyes is how it's funded, where it's funded, who has responsibility for taking care of it, how can we hold those accountable that are responsible for it, what's the school board's view, take, responsibility when it comes to this discussion. And this is the discussion that we continue to have. So education discussion continues. In fact, coming up in a little bit, we are going to open up the phone lines and we will continue for a bit more your thoughts on what needs to happen in order to get a negotiated settlement between the province and the teachers. So that phone line, one 332 8255 is your key to the conversation right here on 980-CJME and 650-CKOM. Thursday morning, and we appreciate you spending part of your day with us. I'm Evan Bray, and we are chatting about the education teachers, the current climate that we're dealing with when it comes to classroom complexity and all that comes with that. I mentioned we're going to open up the phone lines for you, one 332 The second I do it, the phones start ringing and the text and the text start coming in. So I wanted to talk about, because there was a few texts this morning, we talked about this memorandum of understanding. So this is the one on Monday and Tuesday of this week the government and the teachers sat down for what appears to be a very brief moment in time. And in there, they were trying to cover off classroom complexity. The government proposed a memorandum of understanding, which doesn't necessarily give the teachers control, but what it does do is ink a deal where they would guarantee a certain amount of money is put towards this complexity in classroom size funding every year. This has been thrown out. You and I have talked about this a few times as being a possible way to get this handled, but it wasn't what the teachers wanted and they said no to it. And lots of people are weighing in saying, you know, this appears to be about money. Others are saying the teachers are being unrealistic and others are saying the teachers are trying to solve a problem that probably the school boards and school districts should be digging into in a, in a more substantial way. So I want to take another quick call. one 332 8255 Jane has called in from Saskatoon. What's your thoughts? Where, where do you lie when it comes to this discussion between province and teachers? Hi, can you hear me? I sure can, Jane. What are your thoughts? Maybe I come from this as a different perspective, and that's because I have a niece who's severely disabled. And she's actually a twin. So her sister is not disabled at all, but she ran into some issues very young. She will never be in the workforce. Never. She will barely be able to take care of herself. She will always need somebody there physically with her. So... I have some questions on whether or not the teachers should be deciding this, and also with your caller, Brittany, from the support system, Mm -hmm. because my niece went to school with my sister, 
they did okay when they were younger, but as it got challenging into really where they had to learn, because they have to learn math, they have to learn reading. My niece couldn't do that and will never be able to do that. So really what they have is they do have organized classrooms in a specialized school where she goes to now to get support. She's still involved in the community. They take her out in the community just to understand what the world is really like. So I have questions when they want to say, no, we can bring in these kind of um, disabilities into a full classroom because it will be challenging for those students that don't have disabilities to learn. And also, I think we have to understand that those with disabilities do need some special education. There's it is not a one-fits-for-all. And so I think teachers, I can understand, they see these issues. I don't think they should necessarily make the decision on what and how to deal with these issues. They are complex. So I think it's everybody from the government to the... School boards, yeah, there's governments to social workers to whatever we need to. And the concept of one fits all and all can be involved um, and one place to go, I don't think it will really work. Appreciate you calling in, Jane. It's, it, I mean, this is the array, this is the spectrum of complexity that we talk about, and there, there's a variety. So, in some cases, it might work. Uh, seamlessly in others and the example that Jane gave with her her niece uh, who is a twin and the complications that they've seen especially in the more advanced grades um, but you know I think educators school divisions kind of handle those issues on a one-by-one basis and and generally what we're talking about is the notion of of inclusion and the importance that that plays in the lives of of all students. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go back to the the negotiated settlement question, and I'm going to give you a chance to weigh in on this once again, 1-877-332-8255. Some people are pointing out that the MOU that the Saskatchewan government proposed has a clause in it where this can be terminated by either party within a certain period of time. We'll tell you the theory behind that. When we come back as well, you're listening to 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Thursday morning and one day shy of the next round of rotating strikes that we're going to see in the province by the teachers. That starts tomorrow. Prince Albert, North Battleford, and of course, all across Saskatchewan, lunch hours will not be supervised tomorrow. And so as a result, school divisions, school districts, uh, individual schools are reaching out to parents to let them know what the rules are going to be so that you understand maybe your son or daughter will be coming home at lunch and actually not going back to school in the afternoon. In other places, they're handling handling it a little bit differently. So definitely check and see what it is going to be for you in your area of the province. Well, whenever I throw the phone number out, 1-877-332-8255, and I ask you to call me with your thoughts, it pains me when I can't get to all your calls. (laughs) And that has happened a couple of times this morning. We were talking about that shelter in Fairhaven, uh, but we also, sorry, the, the one in Sutherland, Fairhaven played into it as well. But then off the start this morning, we were talking about teachers, the province, 
bargaining, education. I asked you to call. You did in droves, and we only got to a few of your calls. So I promised you at 1130 we would do it all over again. So for the next half of an of an hour or so, it is your opportunity at one 332 8255 to give me a call. We're talking teachers. We're talking education. If you were one of the ones that wasn't able to get in, I would love to hear from you. And what are your thoughts? What do you think needs to happen to get a negotiated settlement? That's the question. I'm going to go to Myrna first in Fort Coppell. Thanks for calling in, Myrna. What do you think? I, hello. Yep, I've me? got you, Myrna. Yep. Uh, I had four children in school when this first came in, in Regina. And I was against it from day one. My children did not get the education that they should have got. My oldest son, I, I still have every note that came home from school. He is not working to full potential. And the teachers did not have time to find his potential or to give him extra work. I saw teachers changing diapers. I saw teachers walking up and down the hall trying to calm children down. Uh, but my children, which were normal school children, I got the notes at home that it was up to me to to put him in extracurricular activities to bring up his potential. I know that the kids need to be, you know, uh, included, but I really don't think that the normal kids get the education that they should. Well, so so this, this notion of inclusion that Myrna's talking about really does bring about the fact for it to work properly, the supports need to be in place. That's that's really what it comes down to. So, you know, if, if we are going to be inclusive and we are going to have inclusive classrooms that work properly, then we need to have the supports that are in place to help all students. Because as Myrna pointed out, there are, are students with complex needs, students that, that uh, need those supports to help them out. But typical peers of theirs in the classroom and that by the way just a terminology thing but i i know you know it's, it's sometimes tough to know what is the right terminology uh, as opposed to saying normal we typically use the word typical so typical peers of those that might have behavioral challenges or intellectual challenges typical peers also need the attention of teachers and supports because we are knowing that there are lots of of children in classrooms that are not being challenged the way they should be and that's part of this discussion one 332 8255 so this whole memorandum of understanding uh again i've got one in in front of me here the the copy between the government of saskatchewan and the saskatchewan teachers federation they presented this early this week to the stf and said okay we are not prepared to put classroom complexity and class size into your collective agreement. But what we will do is we'll put a memorandum of understanding in there that guarantees we'll spend $53.1 million in funding for kindergarten to grade 12 classrooms, and then they break it down. And they do have a clause in here that says this memorandum of understanding may be terminated by either party within 12 months written notice. And I've had some people texting in this morning that are critical of that saying, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's good. What I can tell you is that typically when a memorandum of understanding is put into an agreement, it's seen as a, 
a potential temporary step to try something out to see if it's going to work. And so I would say most times a memorandum of understanding, at least the ones that I've seen, either have a hard end date, we'll do it in till the end of the contract, and then it would need to be rebargained, or it has a bit of a, call it an escape clause or a, the ability to basically terminate the agreement with proper notice. And so the fact that they say this can be terminated with the possibility of giving 12 months notice, I would say that's pretty typical. I know people are being hard on the government for putting that in there, but that, that is pretty typical of an MOU that you would see in a collective agreement because the teachers might not like it either. Should they agree to this? Should they agree to this? Then, you know, they may get in there a year later and they decide they don't like it. So I, I was hopeful that something like this might have got us a little bit further down the road than it did when it comes to a, a collective agreement. Clearly it did not. It didn't fly. I'm throwing out binding arbitration, as I think you are as well, and not everyone is agreeing that that's the way to go. So, what's the what's the fix? How do we get there? one 332 8255 We're asking you the question, what needs to happen to get a negotiated settlement? We're talking about classes and some of the complex needs that are in classrooms and how we navigate this through the lens of a collective bargaining agreement, which is very challenging. Justine is on the line from Regina. Thanks for calling in. What is your thought? Hi. Great for calling in. Thanks. What What's your thought on this whole topic? Well, I just wanted to address what Myrna was just saying about um, having special needs kids integrate the classroom. Sure. And I want to share an experience that I had. I did my internship oh, probably 20 years ago almost now. And it was a grade five classroom, and we had a girl with special needs in the class who was about 18 months development, a lot, a lot of language skills missing, physical development missing. Um, but what I noticed about having her in that classroom of fifth grade students is that they took care of her and they loved her. They'd gone to school with her since kindergarten. And kids who would typically otherwise not have such an experience to meet somebody like that, they were so empathetic and they were so welcoming of her. And so what I want to say is that having those um, kids with special needs or disabilities in the classroom, they have something to offer the other students. They give them social and emotional growth that they wouldn't have otherwise because they're experiencing people who are different than them. They're teaching them how to be patient. They're teaching them how to communicate with people who are different than them. So when we talk about this whole, like, complex needs thing and, and, and you know, these kids in the classroom that are making it harder, I want us to also acknowledge that some of these kids, you know, kids coming from other countries and they have to learn English. Guess what? They have something to offer the classroom as well. So I just want to stick up yeah. for some of those kids. I, and I... Justine, I think your, your point is bang on. And I, you know, I think part of, part of the discussion that we need to have on this is the understanding and, and I think the acknowledgement that it works best for everyone when the supports are in place in the classroom because the lack of supports, it doesn't benefit. I don't care if you are a typical peer, if you're, if you have special needs, if it's a language challenge that you're having, it doesn't matter. If the supports aren't in place, all students are going to fail. So your your points are bang on. I think we grow, we thrive better with a good, inclusive classroom that has proper supports in place. Would you agree with that? 100%. And I think teachers are doing an amazing job with that for across the board. I have a son with disabilities, and his teacher this year is outstanding. I, I just love her. 
but I agree they need they need more support. I also think that needs to come from the board level just as much as it needs mm-hmm. to come from the government. Yeah, good point. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. All right, let's uh, continue to take calls. Some great calls coming in. AJ in Saskatoon, thanks for calling in. What's your thoughts on the conversation we're having today around education, teachers, and and where we're going to end up? Okay, I'd like to start off. Most teachers are absolutely amazing with dealing with these children with disabilities and stuff. I am a mom of four, including a daughter that has an intellectual disability that basically functions at a 10-year-old, 12-year-old level who is now 20. Okay. She's she's now addicted to drugs. She's addicted to all these other kinds of things. And because she was included in the classroom and because the EA can't be with them all the time, they're supposed to interact with other kids, she ended up getting hooked hooked in with a wrong group of kids and Mm -hmm. there's nothing that we can do and this is the problem is that these kids don't learn to function at the age that they are and then they get lost in the system because she's 20 so she's an adult but she functions at a Mm 10-year-old level yeah and it's and it was the lack of the lack of supports and care that that allowed her or caused her to to stray potentially with the wrong crowd is that right that's exactly it and that's the problem is that you're including them in these classrooms at the level that they can't function. And don't get me wrong, it was great up until about grade six. And then about grade six, you know, the kids start to mature, they start getting out in the world, they, mm-hmm. you know, they have more freedoms and things like that. My kid couldn't function like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's the problem. And then they get mixed in with this wrong crowd of stealing and um, everything else like that. And, and it just stems from there. And that's the problem with the inclusive society that we all dream about and everything else like that. It's great on paper, but it doesn't function for the kids themselves. Well, I can tell, I'm going to say this. I appreciate whenever we get people that are willing to call in and weigh in and give, give uh, their thoughts. But the people that are weighing in and using their story as an example, I, I feel that's a brave move. I appreciate it. It, it provides such important context to this conversation. And so AJ and others that have called in and in front of her, I appreciate this has been, uh, you know, really, I think it's important to, to include this in the conversation that we're having. Okay. We're going to move to Saskatoon. Clay is on the line. Thanks for calling in. Clay, what are your thoughts? It seems that we're running into the same problem, no matter what issue we're talking about, whether it's the school, whether it's the justice system, whether it's that new uh, site they're opening in Sutherland. We're putting the needs of the, well, quote-unquote, weak that need a handout in front of the needs of the general public, and we're punishing the general public for not having their handout. Mm. The quiet ones are being punished. Like, no, we need, to, we need this place to put the homeless, but who cares about everyone that lives around them and the kids? We need a place to put all the kids with disabilities, but who cares about the kids who want to learn at a normal level? We, need, we want to get everyone out of prison. Who cares about the general public that they're going to commit a crime again? The general public gets punished over and over again because we're trying to save the world by pretending these people should be with the, the real world. You and can, in a lot of cases, they simply can't be. You could feel the sense of frustration, and Clay has summed it up, I think, very well. And you could feel it in his voice, and, and I hear it in the callers that are that are calling in. And there there's extreme frustration throughout this entire bargaining process with the teachers. Uh, people very polarizing. People choose typically one side or the other. Very few kind of fall in the middle. Uh, many, and we know that there are a lot of supporters out there for the teachers. In fact, a recent poll showed that this issue is actually hurting 
the provincial government, which I talked with Minister Jeremy Cockrell about yesterday when we had the, the chat on the phone. All right, let's go to Jim and Regina. I have time for one more call before we take a break. Jim, thanks for calling in. What's your thought on this whole teacher's bargaining issue, and where do we need to get to to get a negotiated settlement? Well, the government's going to be sitting in two weeks, and when they sit, they're going to drop a budget. So if Mr. Cockrell would guarantee to the teachers that the dollars that he was talking about will actually be in the governor in the budget possibly the teachers could hold off all sanctions until that happens mm-hmm. and then move ahead good point i mean the budget is coming up we are uh, under uh, about about a month away i guess from the next budget and so yeah, there, there no doubt will be some sort of directive and monies allocated towards education in that. Jim's point is maybe maybe that is what calms the water. Maybe that is what gets them back to the bargaining table. It's an optimistic thought anyway. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll finish up with this topic and the notion of what needs to happen to get a negotiated settlement between the province and the teachers right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Just about lunchtime. Thank you so much for calling in and weighing in on the teacher discussion that we've been having now for quite some time. Uh, the text line, I'm telling you, it is blowing up and it has been for basically the week since we knew that talks broke down on Tuesday, late Tuesday. We heard that uh, the texts have been nonstop. People weighing in on both sides. Some people are saying, I got a text here that says the Saskatoon school board, one of the Saskatoon school boards has more people on it than Calgary which soaks up a large amount of funding. School boards, school divisions, some people are critical of that. Teachers need a different text. Teachers need to understand they cannot get the complexity in their contract. It's a recipe for disaster to allow them to control classroom size and classroom complexity. So people really are feeling strong about that. And other people are just tired of the bickering. Matthew from Saskatoon says all this bickering and blame back and forth. He said, she said, it sounds like a grade two school ground argument. And now I've got to take time off work to pick up my child for her lunch hour that I've already paid for lunch hour supervision. I'm so over this. And people are also saying, look, let's just get a mediator. Let's bring an arbitrator in, get both sides together, hammer out a deal, get it done. The problem is, an arbitrator is going to make a final binding decision that both sides will have to live with. And so when we know both sides are very entrenched in terms of whether or not class size and complexity should be in an agreement, they're probably afraid to give up the reins and lose the control over making the decision about whether or not it's included in there or not. And if you're on the province side of this, Knowing that classroom complexity has made it into other collective agreements for teachers in Canada, that precedent is out there. I can't see either side letting go of the grip of the reins that they have when it comes to contract negotiations. And it's time to move on to a different topic. The synchrotron, which you probably, if you listen to me now over the last couple of months, know that I have a very keen interest and fascination with the work they do at the Synchrotron, Canadian Light Source at the University of Saskatchewan. Another new innovative use for that incredible piece of technology when we come back right here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.